If you guys love the podcast, you want to get the audible version of my new book, How to Be a Capitalist Without Any Capital, at capitalistbook.com. A user named just Jay on Amazon said this in a review, a four-hour work week for 2019. He goes on to say, I bought this book because I read somewhere that it was like a four-hour work week of 2019, and it absolutely delivered. The book delivered on both big ideas and has specific actionable templates, including unredacted and minimally redacted emails. This book is not chock full of self-promotion or useless platitudes, but is broken down into four key rules explained in solid detail and with specific and often amusing anecdotes. Reading this really got my wheels and my head turning of how to be resourceful, which many say is the ultimate trait of a successful entrepreneur. My favorite of the four rules is blank. You have to go read the review to find out. But guys, thanks for supporting me on the podcast. I hope you go grab the book on Audible today at capitalistbook.com cherish the ones you love and also on a business side of things remember there is life outside of academia he in 2011 uh, well sorry not he but in 2011 test io was launched by some founders in tw- a couple years later 2016 after a five million dollar round of funding philip joined the company they're now serving 180 customers kind of doing functional testing in the smb space each customer is paying caught four or five grand per month they're kind of in the nine million dollar ar range hoping to pass that 10 million mark soon net revenue retention they are flirting with the 100 mark obviously a really healthy place to get above, willing to spend three to four months of first year ACV on acquisition. Most of that acquisition cost is tied up in a 27 person or 20 kind of person sales team. They got 40 people between San Fran and Berlin, uh, again, growing nicely at about 60 to 65% year over year. This is the Top Entrepreneurs Podcast, where founders share how they started their companies and got filthy rich or crash and burn. Each episode features revenue numbers, customer counts, and other insider information that creates business news headlines. We went from a couple of hundred thousand dollars to 2.7 million. I had no money when I started the company. It was $160 million, which is the size of many IPOs. We're bootstrapped. We have like 22,000 customers. With over 5 million downloads in a very short amount of time, major outlets like Inc. are calling us the fastest growing business show on iTunes. I'm your host, Nathan Latka, and here's today's episode. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Philip Sofer. He's the CEO of Test.io since May of 2016, and it ha- sorry, has been since May of 2016, splitting his time between Berlin and the San Francisco Bay Area. Before Test.io, he held senior leadership roles in product development and marketing at Plumtree Software, Lithium Technologies, and Piazza. Philip, are you ready to take us to the top? I am. All right. Tell us about Test. I'm guessing it's in the DevOps space, which we know is a very, very hot space. So what do you do? We provide software crowd testing services to companies. So if you need your software tested by real human beings using real devices in the real world, uh, we have a network of people around the world who like to do that. And you can get that done uh, in as quickly as an hour uh, for uh, an exploratory test. Okay. And how does this compare to something? You know, I've used usertesting.com before. It's kind of manual. You say who you want to test it and you say go through this process and it screen records and sends it back to you. How do you differ? So that's, uh, that's really a usability test. Our tests are functional tests. So you give, uh, you give some guidance uh, through our interface about what you want to test and what's changed. And what we're providing is functional, functional bugs, basically. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. And give me a general sense of what com- uh, customers are paying for this per month on average. Uh, well, the, the, the base price is $3,000 a month for a subscription for a product that we test. And when you pay for that subscription, you can test as many times as you want. 
And so what we encourage uh, our customers to do is basically do a lot of testing uh, and do it earlier in their development process. Uh, but we also have customers who will test early in their development process and even test in production, uh, test when they do code merges. Uh, so we're all about trying to shift uh, the testing uh, left and more often uh, when you do uh, this kind of testing. But Philip, you said the base is three grand a month. Yeah. Okay. So you're very much kind of in the enterprise space. No, uh, I would say we're in the SMB space. You have small businesses paying three grand a month for testing. For some people, that would be north of 30, 40% of their monthly revenue. Well, not, not that small. Okay, got it. That's why I'm asking, right? So, so enterprise to us means a billion dollars in revenue, right? We're, you know, we have some customers that are like that. How do you define small business? You said you're in, in SMB. SMB would be like, you know, 100 to 500 people and, you know, in the in the millions of revenue. You're going to make so many enemies on this. Everyone listening with, with us and 100 employees are going to go, well, Philip doesn't even care about us. Well, you know, there's only so many people that we can sell to profitably and we, we try to target those. Uh, uh, this, is, this is a profitable company. It's not, we're not sort of one of these high-flying Silicon Valley companies that uh, goes on endlessly without uh, without profits. That's good. So, so profitable, you're, you're cash flow positive today? Yeah. That's great. Um, walk, okay, so th- 3,000 base, and, and by the way, I don't want to go down every customer cohort, but is three grand a month a good kind of representation of the average or is it actually much higher than that? The average is higher than that. Okay, like, uh, can you give me a general range of what the average might be? Um, higher than 3K? Um, I'd, I'd say the average is probably for new customers that we sign now, it's probably in the four and a half range. Okay, and have you generally, you, you kind of said that very specifically. Do you have historical customers that have a much cheaper price point and you've increased over time? Why do you phrase it like that? Yeah, I mean, so the company is uh, is uh, seven years old now. And obviously when it was a startup, uh, they were willing to accept uh, lower prices before they knew uh, everything about what things cost. Uh, so in those days, uh, people signed on with with uh, with cheaper plans and and, and maybe got uh, deals that we uh, that we can't sustain anymore profitably. So um, you know, so some people some people are less than the average, uh, but new customers. Uh, are signing on at, at higher averages. So, so how do you handle that? Because every co- company goes through that in the maturation process. You know, folks who came on early, you maybe give a discount to. Do you just let them stay at that same price point for the same features, or do you kind of kindly ask them to go up to the new price point? How do you manage that? Um, I think it's a, it's a combination. I mean, we uh, we've we've basically sort of restructured our pricing over time, and each time we do it, we try to get people into into a new band of, of pricing that they would be uh, more. Kind of more uh, more comfortable with uh, with with the price uh, and 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 what they're doing with the software or with the service. That's great. Uh, so it's it's you know we don't we don't stick it to anybody, but we we like to have conversations about it. So 2011, you've been building this thing for seven years. What have you scaled to today in terms of total customers on the platform? Um, it's uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 180 customers. 180. Okay, great. And um, I know you said you're not like some high flying Silicon Valley company, but have you raised capital or are you bootstrapped? Uh, so the company, uh, yeah, has raised capital in the past. Uh, so uh, I guess the um, you know the the headline number that you would see from the 2015 fundraise, which is before I got there, is is five million dollars. So okay, so walk me through this dynamic. You're you're currently CEO, but it sounds like you're not the founder. What what happened there? Well, so uh, I was uh, I was actually recruited to be the CEO in 2016. So the money uh, that was put in uh, the previous year was designed to uh, to 
to underwrite a U.S. expansion. So Test.io originally is a, is a German company uh, based in Berlin, uh, but obviously the biggest market for t- software testing services is going to be in the U.S. because we develop a lot of software here. Uh, and so uh, the board uh, understood that it would be valuable to have somebody with some Silicon Valley or U.S. experience, and, and so that was the auspices on, under which I was I was hired. Uh, and the company didn't actually have a CEO at that time. Philip, so, was that conti- by the way, was that was that contingent? In other words, they basically said, we'll put five million bucks in, but you've got to let us put a new CEO in and it's going to be Philip? No, 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 no. I it mean, wasn't, money, okay. The money came in before I was, uh, before I was hired. So who pursued you? Who, who was the person on the team that pursued you? Was it an investor or the early, or the, one of the founders or what? This is actually an interesting story. Um, I don't know how much, uh, how, how far back you want to go, but if you go back to 1999. And okay, fool, Jesus, Philip. You can do that. Um, I I worked for Plumtree, which was basically sort of a talent factory. Our our uh, our philosophy at Plumtree was: you go uh, and you hire the smartest people that you can possibly find, uh, regardless of how much or how little experience they had. Uh, and so we did a lot of college recruiting out of uh, out of the local uh, colleges. And I was at Berkeley recruiting uh, people, and I recruited a guy there who. Uh, at the age of 21, was already incredibly mature and sophisticated in his understanding of markets. Uh, ended up doing M&A for Plumtree, uh, then ended up uh, doing private equity. Uh, and basically, he's, he's got a, a firm. Uh, and he is the one who introduced me to the Test.io team. He's an investor in Test.io. So I basically hired out of college somebody who is now on my board and effectively my boss. Oh, that, that's uh, funny. Uh, which is funny, um, and it's uh, yeah, it's it's a it's an interesting testament to to longevity in this business. Was this or was this one of the folks from Turn River? That's right. Oh, very good, very good. That's great. Okay, good. So walk me through um, uh, funding. Obviously, raised back then. You've since invested that. Um, if I take the customer, you just customer account. You just gave me one hundred eighty multiplied by the ARPU you just gave me. So call it forty five hundred bucks per month. I mean, that puts you guys at almost a $9 million, $10 million AR run rate. Is that accurate or am I too high or too low? Uh, it's, you know, I don't want to quote specific numbers, but it's broadly, it's broadly accurate. Okay. Let me ask you a different question. When, when do you think you pass 10 million bucks in ARR? Is that a goal for this year or next year or what? That is a goal for soon. Oh, okay. Goal for soon. Good. Uh, good. Let's move forward on some of the economic stuff, right? So in terms of customer growth, as you're driving growth year over year, are, are you driving expansion revenue at a great, like at a high rate or is more the new revenue coming from brand new customers? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and so more of the revenue is coming from new customers, but, uh, we are focusing now more heavily on expansion uh, than we were. Um, as we've matured as a company, uh, we've been able to differentiate sort of the the hunter from the farmer, so to speak, and on the on the sales side. And uh, so, uh, you know, previous to about six or eight months ago, we we didn't really have anybody who was doing was focused on expansion sales. And uh, now we do. And and walk me through kind of what growth has looked like over, over the past year. Then we'll jump more into the sales team and kind of what your team looks like. So if you're kind of flirting or around in the general range of 9 million-ish today or 800 grand per month, where were you a year ago? Oh, gosh. I don't even remember. I, generally, you know, we grow 60, 65, somewhere in there year over year. Okay. Uh, which is, you know, which is 
I think, been fairly consistent over the last two or three years that that's been the, the level of growth. Um, but what's interesting is that we did that while achieving profitability, right? That's great. So, uh, you know, I, I think one of the things about being a German company that has been uh, funded with fairly limited uh, capital is that there's just different habits uh, than than you have uh, in 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 Silicon Valley companies that I've worked at. So we uh, we have focused on capital efficiency and on being. Uh, being able to be profitable at a, at a lower run rate than a lot of companies. Oh, that's great. Walk me through, you know, churn is critical in a SaaS business. What's your churn today and how do you think about it? Well, so we think about it basically on a, on a cohort basis. So are we getting better at retaining and expanding the customers that, uh, that, we, that we've been signing on? And so, you know, a couple of years ago, we were not so good at that. Come on, now, Philip, tell me how bad. I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give up all the numbers, but uh, what's bad this, though? North of what? What's bad in general? Not not for you specifically, but in the industry. Uh, well, I, I think the industry is a, is a is a is a weird term uh, because you have to segment it in a lot of different ways, right? Like if you're a system of record kind of SaaS uh, SaaS company, then uh, your stickiness is very high because the switching costs are extremely high uh, because you hold the data. Uh, whereas for somebody like us, we're we're a service, and we basically aspire to be for our customers a really easy way to turn on uh, software testing in the way that you can turn on more servers uh, if you are uh, uh, if you're Amazon uh, if you're using AWS or, or uh, Google Cloud or whatever. Uh, so we operate under a slightly different uh, set of assumptions than if we were a system of record. But anyway, we're we're uh, in our latest cohorts, we're close to 100% net revenue retention per year. Uh, yeah, yeah, for for the for the for the on the on the cohort basis. Yep. So that's a combination of you know expansion revenue, you know more and more uh, making up for any lost revenue. That's right. Yeah, that's great. Um, CAC, what's CAC look like today, and how aggressive are you being on payback periods? Well, CAC is is good for us. I mean, our, our CAC to LTV ratio is 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 really good, um, and so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna quote all the numbers, but we we don't spend a lot of money on marketing, so our customer acquisition costs are, are fairly. Well, low. what's your what's your total team size today, Philip? Uh, I'd say the team totally in both geographies is uh, forty at this point. And and what are the two geographies where are you guys based? So there's a, a group here in, in the United States, in the Bay Area, and then there's a, another group in Berlin. Berlin. Okay, so 40 people. And how many of the 40 are based on like sales or marketing or onboarding? Well, sales is, uh, sales I would say is about half of those people. Uh, marketing is, is one full-time person. Uh, and then we have a customer success team as well, which is, um, you know, not sales and not marketing, um, you know, more on the onboarding side, I guess you'd say. And that's about seven people. Okay. So call it 27 people, you know, or maybe 28 people total. That's, you know, out of 40, that's actually a pretty significant chunk, right? So you're not doing any direct paid spend, but if you did take a fully weighted CAC, you do have significant cost with obviously all those salaries. What do you like to see? Like how quickly do you like to get your money back in terms of payback period? Um, three to four months. Okay, that's super healthy. Now, was it was it really bad when you joined because again they had five million bucks of play money and they were kind of overspending on acquisition or no? No, uh, okay. it's 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 never been bad. I mean, this has always been an extremely capital efficient company. So you know, as much as I would like to take credit for like going medieval on CAC, that was 
that was uh, definitely not not what we were doing. And and uh, you know, I think where we've gotten uh, better, we've gotten a lot better at sort of the onboarding process, the customer success process. Um, I I don't put those folks as part of CAC. I put them as because they do. Um, they're not just about acquisition of the revenue. They're really about the lifetime customer success and retention. Uh, so I, I think about those folks differently than I think about salespeople or marketing people. That's interesting. But I mean, if you didn't have the, that team, right? And these people, you could say, we acquired the customer, but they churn after three months because they weren't properly activated. That activation team is, I mean, it's critical to you being able to hit your payback period targets and, and your lifetime value targets. For sure it is. Um, yeah, for sure it is. Interesting. Um, but it, but it's just a it's it is a different kind of spend than the sales and marketing spend. Yep, yep. Um, interesting. Last two questions before we wrap up with the famous five. Are you raising capital today? Uh, not that I want to talk about. I mean, uh-huh. it's not. I mean, I'm like I'm not out raising capital for VCs. Yeah. If you did have additional, you know, an additional ten million bucks, where would you spend it? Have you identified kind of a growth channel? Yeah. I mean, I think we have historically spent not as much as we might on on marketing uh, specifically on get sort of getting our name out there sort of brand recognition kinds of things uh, and so if we were marketing aggressively uh, to uh, what I call the enterprise uh, companies that is the companies that are really big that rely for example on analyst reports and so on like we're not we're not in that world yep Yep. Um, QA Symphony just went through an interesting merger. The combined company is probably going to be caught between 80, 85 million bucks in ARR. Um, if they approach you and say, hey, we want to buy you guys for 80, 90 million bucks, do you sell the company? I couldn't answer that. <laughs> um, but it, I mean, it, it obviously like every, every, everybody's got their price. Right? Let me ask you a different question. Whose decision is that to make? Do you have enough of the company where it's your decision or is it really kind of turn river and the other investors? Uh, I think. It's, it's a board level decision, obviously, to sell the company. And, yeah. You know. Very good. All right, Philip, let's wrap up here with the famous five. Number one, what's your favorite business book? So I'm going to go a little rogue on this one. I, I, I think business books as a genre are not my favorite genre, so I don't read too many of them. Um, but I read books about business, uh, especially uh, sort of interesting interesting stories. So I, let me give you a, a few that I've read recently, and then one that's not about business that I yep. always... Yeah, yeah give, it, give it to me. All right, so uh, you should read Bad Blood uh, about uh, the Theranos uh, situation. Uh, that's a fascinating book, uh, and it, it tells a cautionary tale. Uh, you should read American Kingpin about Silk Road and Ross Ulbricht and sort of his rise and fall, which is, a, a you know, I, I think almost a Greek tragedy level of story. Uh, and then you, this is a book that I tell everybody to read who's working in a startup, uh, it's not about uh, a business. Uh, it's The Making of the Atomic Bomb by Richard Rhodes, uh, which is, in my mind, the greatest startup story of all time uh, because you had the brightest people. You had an amazing uh, fundraising process, but a pretty hard-to-please board. Uh, and then you had a, a literal deadline. Um, and uh, the story of how that all came together and, and uh, how it works is incredible. Number two, those are great. Get number two, give me a CEO you're following or studying right now. Uh, so my favorite CEO is Glenn Kelman from Redfin. Uh, I, I just, I, I worked for him at Plumtree he was an amazing person and I always knew that he would be an amazing CEO and, and it's fun to watch. And I believe they, when, when did they go public? It was, it was what a year ago or pretty recent. 
It was it was last year, uh, and then they had uh, you know a nice run up, and then you know Glenn, who is compulsively honest, uh, said on his investor call the other day that he thinks that the real estate market is softening, uh, and you know the stock lost twenty five percent of its value overnight. Uh, but I, you know, I, I think Glenn is going to win in the end. Yep. Number three, what's your favorite online tool for building a business? Oh gosh, uh, for building a business. That's uh, I mean, so you know, what do what do we use? I mean, we use the 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 stack the 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 stack that has outreach in it, LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Like these are the tools that we use a lot for prospecting. Um, I, I have one tool that I use in my personal life that's made a big difference for me lately. So I get a lot of spam phone calls, and I uh, I installed this thing called RoboKiller that blocks them. Uh, it's been a material improvement in my quality of life because I get like 10 spam phone calls during the day. Um, and That's now great. Robo killer. Number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Uh, I, you know, I strive for seven. Uh, I usually get maybe, uh, maybe six and a half. Okay. Uh, and Phil, what, what's your situation? Married, single kids? Uh, I'm married. I have three kids. Oh, wow. Okay. And how old are you? How old am I? Yeah. Really want to know that? Yeah. Uh, I'm 47. I asked that because I like my audience to be able to say, oh, I'm like, I, I'm, I'm 47 too. And I thought I couldn't be CEO or have my own startup. But look, he's doing, Philip's doing it. I can too. Look, this old guy can do it. This is being videoed. Like, <laughs> some people are going to see it on video, right? <laughs> nah, you'll be good. Last, <laughs> last question here, Philip. What do you wish your 20-year-old self knew? Oh, gosh. Uh, you know, there's, a, there's some personal things and then there's like maybe some professional things. I mean, I think, you know, my 20 year old self thought he was going to be an academic. And, uh, I think I would tell that person, uh, be open to, to, uh, alternative possibilities always. Um, and I think I would tell any 20 year old, uh, cherish the ones that you love and, and, and be close to them because you don't know what's going to happen and, and you might lose them sooner than, than you think. Guys, there you have it from Philip. Cherish the ones you love and also on a business side of things. Remember, there is life outside of academia. He in 2011, uh, well, sorry, not he, but in 2011, Test.io was launched by some founders in tw- a couple years later, 2016. After a $5 million round of funding, Philip joined the company. They're now serving 180 customers, kind of doing functional testing in the SMB space. Each customer is paying caught four or five grand per month. They're kind of in the $9 million AR range, hoping to pass that 10 million mark soon. Net revenue retention, they are flirting with the 100% mark, obviously a really healthy place to get above, willing to spend three to four months of first year ACV on acquisition. Most of that acquisition cost is tied up in a 27 person or 20 kind of person sales team. They got 40 people between San Fran and Berlin, uh, again, growing nicely at about 60 to 65% year over year. Phil, thank you for taking us to the top. All right. Thanks, Nathan.